When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Purple Insider presented by Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com slash insider and learn about the tall boy can, which actually has water. Find out where you can get it near you at liquiddeath.com slash insider. Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, along with Sports Illustrated's Will Raggetts to give you your weekly hardcore Vikings and Bears preview. Uh, let me ask you this to start the show, uh, Will. Who is the definitive bear of your lifetime? I'd say it's Brian Urlacher. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I, I mean, he's it, it's been a little while since he was roaming the, uh, the backfield there, but that's still who I think of for sure. When you go to Chicago, they have uh, these billboards and Brian Urlacher's on them with hair. Ah, yes, he is. I actually, I saw him, I was at a bar in, in Kansas once. I guess his, he has a kid who goes to the University of Kansas, and he was just there. And I didn't realize up until seeing him in person right there that he had hair magically somehow. So I got I to gotta hit him up. The yeah, I wasn't gonna make that joke. I I don't know how sensitive you are about it, but um, it's it's sort of funny though to see him because he was like that was his image was the bald guy. It's kind of like Drew Brees and Jason Witten's TV hair. Yeah, You're like Drew, Drew, I've seen you up close. That's not your hair. Why are you doing this? We don't have to be embarrassed. I mean, my gosh. Anyway. Uh, what a start to this podcast. The Jason Witten hair was the most absurd. It was just clearly pasted on. Yeah. Like, is there a problem with a bald former football player on television? Like, why did you want to do this? Anyway. Uh, yeah. I was thinking about that today. Just of, of like definitive bears of the last like 30 years. Because if you go back farther, even before my time, it's like Jim McMahon, Walter Payton, Richard Dent. Like, they've just got a ton of amazing names, but it's been such a mix mash of a franchise. Like, Jake Cutler cannot be your definitive bear. But, I mean, can you have, like, Devin Hester, a returner? But he kind of is, though, yeah. a definitive bear. Uh, they've got a couple of running backs. Um, Thomas Jones was one of them that was a great player for them for a long time. But there are very few players where you say uh, Charles Tillman, another one yep. where you would say you just say bears and you're like, oh, that guy. I mean, even with Erlacher, you have to go back more than a decade to talk about his best times. And they still don't have any definitive bears. They have a quarterback. They're not sure of. That's a shock. They have a roster that's in flux, an ownership that seems confused. Um, but you know, a general manager who might or might not actually have a plan. It kind of seems like he does to tear them down and rebuild them. But there are so many times where the Vikings are playing this team where you're just like, so what's going on with them anyway? 
They're 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 in a weird spot, eh? Yeah. I mean and and they're in a very very weird spot this year where we have no idea if Justin Fields is good. It's it's looking kind of more like he might not be. I, I can't be encouraging at least what what we've seen or what Bears fans have seen from him through his rookie year and now into this year, but also it's really 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 hard to evaluate is your second year franchise quarterback good when he just has no pieces around him. And that's the part of the the, the Ryan Poles, I was going to say Ryan Pace for a second, but the Ryan Poles plan that uh, on the one hand it makes sense because it's a it's a terrible roster, you should tear it down and rebuild and and that that part of it makes sense, but but then when you have the the franchise QB like you you're not putting him in an environment to grow. Like you can rebuild while still you know, giving the guy a few offensive linemen or a couple of receivers or, or or something like that to help help foster his development in the right way. And I mean, just the numbers are absurd. Like when you look at the, this team's four game start, no team in the last forty years has had fewer than thirty five pass completions through four games until this this Chicago Bears team and all the passing EPA and DVOA and all. It's it's just it's hard to look at and it just it's hard to know what to expect from from this team coming into this game okay i'm gonna look this up i want to see like what the worst bears passing game ever was i'm gonna look that up as we talk okay um but you know looking at this roster i I have a, a lot of respect for committing to the bit like we are going to be bad and let's go Byron Pringle, Equinemius St. Brown. Like, these are just bodies that you're bringing in. They tried with Riley Reef. That did not work. And somebody on a Chicago podcast that asked me to come on their show, they asked about, like, Riley Reef. And, like, was I surprised that he's not playing? It's like, no. I mean, how old is Riley Reef at this point? I mean, all of these, like, patchwork bad bets that this team has made because they really had no other choice. So they're picking up guys like Amir Smith-Marset. Like, oh, uh, maybe there's something there. Probably not, but let's just give it a try. And I think that for a long-term strategy that they have done the right thing. They have not locked themselves into anything, including Justin Fields. Because of the fact that they fired Ryan Pace, now Ryan Poles can be like, I don't know, not my guy. I need this guy that we're going to draft. And this team is two and two, but they could very easily end up like three and 14 for the rest of the year because they have such a miserable roster and they could be drafting in the top five. And if they pass up on one of those quarterbacks, I think it would probably be a, a huge mistake because I I'm ready to say already right now that they're showing they don't trust Justin Fields and they don't think it's going to work. Like if you're not even taking a chance at passing the football, you're basically saying like, nah, not our quarterback, which I think is fine. I mean, we saw Arizona do that with Josh Rosen and just say like, nope, it's not going to work. And maybe the New York Jets should have done the same thing with Darnold after it was clear it wasn't going to work. Uh, That to me is like the most interesting Bears storyline is just how they feel about Justin Fields and how they'll approach that position in the future. Are they going to give them a whole other year because they know they're not going to be good, but then you waste years of people's lives with a bad quarterback, or is there any chance that he does turn it around? I feel like this right now would have to be one of the biggest turnarounds we've ever seen from the way Justin Fields has played so far, but I don't know what your take on that is. Yeah, it would almost have to be like a Josh Allen type of 
player development thing, which is really rare. Like people love to, um, like I saw a tweet recently where it's like, when you're bringing up the Josh Allen rookie stats to talk about your young quarterback, he's probably terrible because that's like the one example where you can be like, oh, Josh Allen in his first two years did this. And like he was bad and he turned into a really good quarterback. And that just doesn't happen very often, if ever. Like that is not a sustainable blueprint to follow. So, yeah, it's weird because Justin Fields coming out to me looked like a really, really good prospect. And so I wonder how much of of the way he's played so far has been going into a bad environment, but that can't explain all of it. Like he's he's probably underperforming. You make a good point that when you're not trusting him to throw the ball at all. I mean, they they had their first game this past week, their fourth game, their first time completing double digit passes in a game. Congratulations. Like, it's so it was their big air it out game and he had eleven completions. It, it's just so ridiculous to me. And you're right. This team is two and two. But they're one of the three worst teams in the league, I think. And I don't think that's really in question. Like, their first game was against the 49ers in a monsoon. They had 200 total yards of offense. The Niners just happened to have, like, 12 penalties and some other weird stuff went on. Uh, and then they beat a te- the Texans when Justin Fields had, like, 70 passing yards and they were just a- able to run it all over Houston and-, and barely pull out a win in that game. Like, the Vikings, and we'll talk more about this matchup, but the Vikings... The expectation should be to do to this Bears team what the Packers did in week two, which was they beat them 27 to 10. It could have been even a a more lopsided scoreline than that. Like, I think there's real concern if you're the Vikings, if this game's even close at any point in the fourth quarter. Like, this should be the opportunity to come out, fix some of the things that, that that have been problems during the last two wins, which... There's a lot to fix, even from from two wins, and, and kind of put a performance together and, and and blow this team out. Like that should be the expectation if the Vikings are who who they say they are. Is, is it the big question here? Is like, is this the one per year, or is the one per year thing gone? I mean, with Mike Zimmer, you could just lock it in. Mm-hmm. At some point, we're gonna have a game where we say you should not lose to this football team or you're not good. And then they lose to that football team and end up not being that good. Uh, We can name them. I mean, the Buffalo game in 2018 is kind of the like, okay, things aren't as different as we thought they were going to be. Um, You know, you had last year, the Detroit Lions, of course, beating them. I mean, there's examples all over Chase Daniel beating the Vikings in Chicago when that team wasn't very good either in 2019. I did find the worst Bears offense of the last two decades. The 2004 Bears. Tell me if you've heard of any of these quarterbacks. Chad Hutchinson, Craig Krenzel, Jonathan Quinn. You heard of those guys? I think I've heard of Chad Hutchinson. He was a, the former former Jet, I want to say. Um, I think. Well, he may have played for the Jets in his journey. No, that's Chad Pennington. Yeah, that's Chad Pennington. That's, he was actually good. That's somebody else. My bad. Chad Hutchinson. Uh, played for Dallas and okay. then Chicago. And, and in 2004, their quarterbacks combined for a 61 quarterback rating. Oh they God. were sacked 66 times through nine touchdowns in the whole season and 16 interceptions. And I will give you the kicker to this story, which is Chad Hutchinson, who went one and four, won one game, 
Who was it against? Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings. Amazing. And he threw three of the nine touchdowns in that game (laughs) against an 0-4 Vikings that was a house. And Dante Culpepper was playing MVP football. And somehow Chad Hutchinson won a game with three touchdowns against the Vikings. This man was sacked 23 times in five games. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, Craig Krenzel was a good Ohio State quarterback, but he threw three touchdowns, six picks, and somehow won three games with them. And this Bears offense so far is basically on pace with that 2014. Yes. Yeah, That they were 32nd in the NFL in passing uh, or in, in points. This team is 31st. At this moment, but the, but going back to the question, there have been so many times with the Bears where we're like, they're bad. They don't know what they're doing. They're kind of a mess. And then they give the Vikings a game or they beat the Vikings. Will that happen this time? It shouldn't. No. I mean, the thing about the Bears for a while recently, they actually had some decent teams. Um, but under Matt Nagy, they went to the playoffs at least one. The double doink It might have been a couple of times. But like they had the defense, they had a formula, right? Where they had Akeem Hicks in the middle and other big guys and Khalil Mack and good linebackers and a good set. Like the defense was good and the offense with Mitch Trubisky or Chase Daniel or whoever was good enough and could, could move the football a little bit. And that gave the Vikings a lot of problems, especially at Soldier Field, which has been a, a house of horrors for them. But this Bears team doesn't have any of that, really. Like Hicks is gone, Mack's gone. They still have Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn and Eddie Jackson and a few playmakers on defense. Like the defense, I think, is around the middle of the league, which is maybe more impressive when you consider that the offense has been as abysmal as it has been. But the Vikings should be able to move the ball and score on this defense. And then offensively, like if Ed Donatel gives up and his unit give up like 20 points to this Bears team, like what are you doing? I mean, they're averaging 97 passing yards a game, which is just absurd. They're ru- they're running the ball 62% of the time. Like, there is one thing that you have to do against this team, and it is take away the running game. And they don't even have David Montgomery. They're on their backup, Khalil Herbert. And, and Justin Fields can, can run it as well. If you are able to slow the running game down and, and try to make Justin Fields beat you, like, barring some miracle surprise, it's, it's not going to happen. So... It, I mean, I, I, I should be careful with what I say <laughs> yeah, I because this say, is the Minnesota Vikings. I just Vikings. gave you a look. Like, you did I give don't me know, a man. look. You're right. We, I, it's a good thing that you know. We say you, it can't. It can always get worse. Like you shouldn't say it can't get worse with the Minnesota Vikings because it can, or or this can't happen because it can. But man, if if they get beat, like, or if this game's even close, like that's just not a good sign at all it's really not uh and i don't think it will be uh so far i have gone f- four for four predicting this team and uh spoiler i'm gonna pick we, the vikings we, we both have so w- yeah i'm gonna and i'm assuming we're gonna be on the same page with this one and I, I looked this up yesterday even like when the vikings have a big advantage in terms of the vegas line of playing chicago as weird as their history is they have lost, I think, one time for games that they had a bigger um, Vegas line than like six and a half, which means you're way better than the other team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Ali Connolly, who's a really good um, football analyst, he just tweeted out just as we're talking about this. It's time to be concerned about Justin Fields. And I think he's exactly right. And when you see the fact that they will not really um, – lean into him at all in a situation where they have every reason to and 
Like these receivers are bad, but it's not like they're not NFL receivers. Like Equinemius St. Brown, Byron Pringle, like these guys are playing. Darnell Mooney is is fine. Supposed to be decent. Supposed to be the number one. I mean, he is the number one. And and to not and and especially when you're running an offense that's supposed to be built on kind of bootlegs and playing off the play action. Those sometimes don't really require the greatest receivers. I mean, it's always helpful to have Justin Jefferson, but a lot of times it's like crossing routes and things like that. It's things that a lot of receivers could do and potentially get open. And the fact that he can't get them the ball, there's another part of it too that I wonder about. And this could end up being like old takes exposed. I don't know in the long run, but you just don't see like a will from him, like a resilience, like a desperation to win, like a leadership and this is just from watching on television like everybody else and, and covering the game from last year. But you see some of the physical skill and talent, but the other parts of it that like, I'm going to dive for the touchdown or I'm going to f- like force my team to find a way. That was what you did see in Josh Allen. And I also think the comparison of physical tools like Allen has an all time arm and he's six foot six. And it's just like, that's different. In, in the things that he can do. And, and also fields doesn't seem to really want to lean into the running game. Like Josh Allen, I can call this up because everyone loves to use that example when a quarterback is bad, as you said, but his running was incredibly good from the very start. And, and I haven't really seen even that part of it with Justin Fields either. Yeah. I mean, he can do it. I, I think his first two games were pretty slow with the run. He's average about, like seven carries for 50 yards the last couple of weeks. Like, but he's not, yeah, he's not a Josh Allen level threat with his legs. He's not Jalen hurts. He's obviously not like a Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray type of speedster. He's supposed to be kind of the in between where he has, he has the legs, but he also has a little bit of, you know, a sturdier build like a hurts or Allen. But I mean, nobody's built like Josh Allen. That dude is a monster. So yeah, that part of it is going to present an issue. Uh, Jalen hurts, ran for two touchdowns on the Vikings in week two. But the fact that they've already had that experience, I think probably helps is not their first time going up against a running quarterback. And then what also helps is Jalen Hurts is playing out of his mind right now, throwing the football and has a great offensive line and has great receivers. And Justin Fields does not have that. So you can lock in a little bit more on like when he does an RPO or zone read or whatever, like we're going to, we're going to focus on him and focus on the run. And we're going to assume that they're not going to beat us through the air because they're throwing the ball 38% of the time, which is just, I, I can't like still, I can't wrap my head around that, that number in, yeah. in the year 2022. Folks, maybe you've been a little confused when you're in the water section of the grocery store and you see what looks like tall boy beer cans. Well, that is water, and it's called liquid death, which coincidentally is not only not deadly, but also delicious and comes in mountain spring style or sparkling in three different flavors. Why is water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst first and because they are infinitely recyclable tall boy cans which are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. Also, Liquid Death donates 10% of their profits from each can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Liquid Death sent me a few cases, and I have to say that I have some family members who were over, and they looked at me funny knowing that I'm not a drinker, so I had to explain, no, it's water, 
and it's helping the environment. You see, bottled water is coming almost always in plastic bottles, which is not great for the environment because most plastic still ends up in a landfill. Aluminum is recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. So yeah, when you drink liquid death, you might have some people thinking that you're pounding a tall boy at your desk at 9 a.m., but you're really enjoying how cold it comes out of the fridge. And as a big soda drinker, I can tell you that I've enjoyed the sparkling lime flavor in particular. So go get liquid death at wherever you do your grocery shopping, 7-Eleven, Hy-Vee, wherever it might be, or check out where you can find it at their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com insider. That is liquiddeath.com slash insider. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. As an old... I could tell you that didn't even happen when I was growing up. I mean, if you like maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers when they had like Neil O'Donnell and Bubby Brister or something that they would do it and they'd run Bam Morris all the time. But uh, that's pretty unusual. Yeah, the running the running element. I just looked at a comparison between Allen and, and Fields. It's really nowhere close. Like Allen's first two years, he had 17 combined touchdowns running the ball. Uh, last year, Justin Fields ran for. 420 yards and two touchdowns like it's it just has not been a scary element of him because I think he doesn't know what to do like there's so many times where I watch the guy and I just think he doesn't know what to do do I run here do I cut it loose do I throw it fast do I throw it slow do I go through my reads do I not and by the second year that is not something you should be seeing so I think that um in, in this game in particular, if we're kind of like going micro and then macro on this, the micro element of it is do not get run over because you can lose this game if you get run over. And I mean, even though the score was pretty well separated at the end between the Packers and Bears, uh, they actually may have scored a touchdown in that game that would have kept it closer, but it was ruled not a touchdown. They were very close. They had an entire drive where all they did was just run, 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 mm-hmm. run. So they clearly have a very good running plan. And if there's one reason I think that the Saints came back in the game last week, it was because all of a sudden Latavius Murray started breaking off big runs 
and that kind of opened up a lot of opportunities. I think this defense is still a little soft when it comes to how they play against the run. And then it, then it becomes on fields to just make a few good plays. You have to make him make lots of good plays with, by being able to s- slow down the run. Why do you think it is that they have not been able to stop the run effectively? Like they've got people that they signed Harrison Phillips for this. Delvin Tomlinson is like one of the top graded defensive tackles in the whole league right now. I mean, I, I really can't pinpoint exactly what the issue is. Yeah, I think, I mean, some of it is just the scheme, like the Donatel Fangio scheme kind of invites the run. We've talked about this, like when you're running two high safeties a lot and you're trying to keep everything in front of you and, and make people sustain long drives and, and just chunk by chunk and hope they make a mistake. That's kind of part of the f- philosophy of it. That that opens the run up a little bit, like they're, they're not stacking the box with, with seven or eight guys. Um, but yeah, they have the personnel. I mean, Harrison Phillips has been playing really well. Dalvin Tomlinson has been playing really well. Kendricks and Hicks have, have played pretty well against the run. I, I think some of it has been like not really setting edges very well. Uh, and Daniel Hunter is usually good at that. And Zadarius Smith can do that. But, uh, I mean, there's times when it's Pat Jones and DJ Wanham in there that hasn't been as good. I mean, and they're also rotating Phillips and Tomlinson, right? So they're not playing the full game. And when you have, Jonathan Bullard and James Lynch in there. It has not been pretty at all. Um, so, I, I mean, the Vikings just signed a guy this week, Kyrus Tonga, who former Chicago Bear, but the dude's like 340 pounds. I just saw him at practice yesterday. He's a large individual. Like, it wouldn't stun me to see him thrown out there for 10 snaps this week. I, maybe that's that's getting ahead of things. But, like, if you have a true nose tackle in the middle – that's how you. That's how three fours are, are kind of meant to be operated. And then, I mean, Harrison Phillips has been playing well at nose tackle, but the dude's like three hundred and ten pounds and right. like athletic. Like he he kind of fits the prototype of a good run defending uh, three four defensive end, like what Dalvin Tomlinson's playing this year. So, if you could put Tonga in the middle and put those two guys next to him, and maybe start to bring start to change up a little bit, maybe have one high safety and start to bring Harrison Smith kind of creeping towards the box a little bit. Like, I'll be curious to see what adjustments they make this week because there's no reason to just keep doing the exact same thing when this team is so clearly trying to run the football and that's the one thing they want to do. It's the one thing they can do, like, successfully. Okay, several thoughts off of that. I totally agree with that point that if they play Harrison Smith deep over the top again, and I think it was even a little questionable at times last week where you're like, come on, is Andy Dalton beating you deep? Like, probably not. Um, I, uh, against Rodgers and Hurts, yes. Right. But, but if you're and, not doing it this week, then that then you are just committed to that, and that's what you're going to do. And I think we do question it uh, if they give up a, a, a lot on the run game, if they're going to play the safety back and not bring him up to the box because – Mike Zimmer, it was very much week to week. Like we didn't know what Harrison Smith was going to do. And the other team didn't either, uh, which I thought caused a lot of problems for opposing teams that would try to prepare for Harrison Smith and then not know where he was going to be, if he was going to blitz all those things. I mean, he would line up like every on the edge in the a gap, like in like a linebacker deep all over the place in the slot. There certainly is a question here to say, why did you keep Harrison Smith? If you were going to use him like this, I mean, that's a lot of money in the in the salary cap. They reworked his whole contract. I'm certain, 100% certain, other football teams would want Harrison Smith. 
if you're playing a system that can have Cam Bynum and Josh Metellus play deep safety over the top, you're certainly spending a lot of money on a guy and not utilizing him to his fullest. But that's that's a different point. And uh, I was also going to bring up that Ed Donatel said Tonga is built like a square, which I thought was great. Reminded me of Brett Jones' squatty body. Uh, there are guys who get compared to fire hydrants. Um, it's just the, the meaty boys was last year mm-hmm. that, uh, the two Michael Pierce and, and Delvin Tomlinson, the meaty boys. So yeah. Um, football coaches say, say some funny things sometimes. <laughs> That's just, he's built like a square. <laughs> they could use some square energy yes. in the middle of their defensive line. So that's not, that's not a bad thing. But the thing you brought up was something I'd really like to discuss, which is Daniil Hunter. Uh, because all throughout the offseason, we were like, and this happens all the time with reporters and coaches, like, so this thing you're doing with Hunter, is that going to work? And they're like, what? 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 Of course it is. What do you guys know? What is this, your first day on Earth? And we're like, okay, I don't know. He's never done this before, but sure, I guess you're right. And then we're four games in, and it's like, what? Give him time. It's a big adjustment. Didn't I tell you that? <laughs> like, no. Um, but I think it's really interesting, though, with Hunter, because it's only this is only two things. It's either the injuries have added up and it's not the same guy or the system isn't really working for Daniel Hunter so far. And then that goes into two other routes of will it ever work? Um, yes or no. And I, I guess what what do we think that that might be? Yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, without talking to Daniel Hunter, who I don't know that we've spoken to this season. Um, Not in the regular season yet. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, like, it's hard to know how he's feeling. Although, I he, he would never say, like, oh, yeah, man, these the injuries are, are limiting me. Like, so that, would, that wouldn't help any, anyways. But, like, the only, like, real piece of speculation we can have from watching him is that the scheme is is just affecting him and affecting his production because he was so so good as this four three hand in the dirt just go against the tackle every time this defensive end and he had 14 and a half sacks in back-to-back years and just physically dominant great run defender and all these things and now it's like if you look at the pff grades they still like what he's done Mm -hmm. and so there is there is merit to that but just the raw pressure numbers, I was looking at this the other day, are just wildly low by Daniel Hunter's standards. Like he has, he has eight pressures through four games. That's the fewest he's had in a four-game span where he's been healthy since his rookie season. I was looking back through all of his games where to see how many pressures he's had, and there's like four games in his entire career since his rookie year. From 2016-21, there's like four games where he was healthy and had one pressure or fewer. He's done that in two of the four games this year. So that alone is just kind of eye popping, and it's not like this. It's been this drastic, drastic change where they have him dropping into coverage and doing all these weird things. Like he's still generally on passing downs, almost always rushing the quarterback, but he's doing it from different alignments. Sometimes he's standing up. Sometimes he's like ask, getting asked to like go against a tight end briefly and go from a really wide angle and then try to get to the quarterback, and and just takes time when quarterbacks are going to be able to get the ball out. And just his responsibilities have been slightly different. And another big thing, the Vikings aren't blitzing nearly as much. And that's kind of a whole part of this Ed Dantel discussion is it's been kind of confusing to me that they haven't brought more pressure, especially when you're going against guys like Andy Dalton and Jared Goff, where 
they can get really bothered by pressure. And there just hasn't been a lot of blitzes. They've just been kind of content to sit back. And that's one thing this week, like Justin Fields is a young quarterback. Confidence can't be particularly high right now with the way the season started. Like go after him. And when you blitz other people, like you're sending linebackers or, or DBs or whoever it is, or you just, you just bring in more that helps the Daniel Hunter and Zedaria Smith because teams can't double them when you're sending six or seven guys at him. So I think that's been part of it. He's gotten some double teams. Uh, he's also gone against three really good right tackles, um, mm-hmm. yep. which is definitely part of the equation. Ryan Ramchek, uh, Panay Sewell, Lane Johnson. like Those are three top ten, if not top five guys at the position. But I saw people saying that and kind of being like, oh, don't worry about it. They're, those are great right tackles. Well, Daniel Hunter's supposed to be and has been in the past – a really elite pass rusher. So I wouldn't just – I think it's almost disrespectful to Hunter to just write it off and say, oh, and he's against these really good right tackles. Yeah, of course he's not going to do anything. He should be winning some of those reps too. Yep. And, and so it's been weird to see him not kind of popping um, both live and on film the way he has for his, his whole career when he's healthy. And I thought Ed Donatello said something kind of strange. Like he was talking about like, oh, if you if you ask Daniil – um, and also, Daniil is a very available player, so I don't want to make it sound like like he's not. It's just you meant to the podium. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to make that clear. Like He's usually very accommodating for media stuff. But uh, he was saying, well, if you ask Daniil, he's very happy not to be like sandwiched between a tackle and a tight end anymore. But I also think that like from that three-point stance or whatever, um, I also think that a lot of times they would do things that would allow him to get matched up with tight ends. And there's probably 20 tweets that I have over the years that were like, Daniel why Hunt- would you block yes. Daniel Hunter <laughs> yes. with a tight end? Yeah. Yes. And I know why, because that's how the protection had to be shifted. Uh, so th- he would end up with that matchup because Mike Zimmer was playing mind games with the opposing offense. And the thing about like, Mike Zimmer's defense is they almost always got a ton of sacks. I mean, last year, I think they were number two or three in the whole league in sacks. We're not seeing that this year. We're seeing them rush for almost all the time, which really allows the other team to figure out exactly what they want to do against that. Like when they're not confused at who you're bringing in from where as much as as Zadarius Smith does move around at times, it seems to be mostly on third downs that he's moving around, which opponents prepare for and expect. So there isn't a whole lot of confusion about what's going to happen. So they can do exactly what they want to do with Hunter. The one concerning stat to me is Seth Walder from ESPN puts out, he's a great follow on Twitter, like a lot of really cool charts because charts are cool. And uh, one of them was the double teams how often defensive ends are getting double teamed. And Hunter was one of the least in the NFL so far, which is because of those right tackles. If you have Penny Sewell, you don't need any help for Penny Sewell. But that one, the fact that the attention is going to another guy and away from Hunter and he's still not winning this way, I think it goes under the category of things that make you go, hmm, not necessarily, oh, this is, this is he's screwed or whatever else. But it also was part of the risk that the Vikings took in bringing him back, which was like, you know what the guy's been through the last couple of years. You also know you're changing a system and that he's spent, he's 27 or 28, but he's been in the league since he was 20. This guy has played in a single system for a long time. You're asking for a big change. And we were just like kind of dismissed on that as coaches want to do, but like you could see this coming. You could see this coming, and they decided that they were going to go to the fork in the road and go straight with Daniil Hunter. We're not going to go all in. We're not going to move on from him, but 
I think there were probably teams around the league that would have ponied up a lot of draft capital for Hunter. And if he finishes the season with five and a half sacks and a pressure rate that's 34th in the league, to me, that's going to be a failure on the front office, not so much of Daniil Hunter and just not understanding that he wasn't going to be able to be the guy that he was when he was getting 14 and a half sacks. Now, let me say this though. He could get 14 and a half sacks Sunday yeah. against Justin Fields. Like, if you want to get right game, there is no better opponent than Justin Fields, who just loves walking into sacks. Yeah, just ask DJ Wanham. If he had yes. eight sacks last year, I think like four or five were against uh, Justin Fields just from holding onto the ball ridiculously long or like rolling out and, and not getting rid of it, not throwing it away. Like, yeah, I, I with Daniel Hunter, I still... I didn't have that much concern this offseason, and maybe that's on me for not really like thinking about it critically enough, but I was just kind of like, it's Daniel Hunter. like The dude I've watched him play his whole career is just so freakishly athletic and talented and such a hard worker and a smart player that I was just kind of betting on the player being able to, you could run a 2-5, a 5-2, like, what, you could run whatever scheme, and I, I would bet on Daniel Hunter being successful. And four games where he doesn't have a ton of pressures and still has, like, two sacks, I think. Like, that hasn't changed that. I'm still bullish on Daniel Hunter's talent and on him figuring this out. I think there's some validity to what Ed Donatel told us, which is this happens with every player when you're, when you're switching schemes. It, it starts slow. And I don't think – it's not a scheme where, like, you can't be productive as an edge rusher, as an outside line. Like, some of the most prolific – sack seasons we've ever seen are from like three four outside oh, line yeah, like Khalil sure. Mack and there's so there's so many examples and Zadarius Smith has been really good in the system and that has continued into this year like that 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 to me is probably an example of there being something to like knowing how to play in this scheme because Zadarius Smith has been racking up pressures and and has a sack in three out of four games and has been really good so there's probably something there where Daniel Hunter as he continues to kind of get reps in this and talk to Zedarius and Ed Donatel and Mike Smith and and all that like we could start to see him get a little more comfortable but if that doesn't happen you're right then that raises a lot of questions of what what was the plan like why why did you bring him back if this wasn't going to be a fit for him right well, it's one of the most interesting things i think about talking uh, about football is when we're allowed to second guess and with that particular one i think you are allowed to second guess and I, and i agree with you that like you, you have to give Daniil Hunter the benefit of the doubt, but we also have to factor in age, injuries, price tag, future price tag, all those things, and 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 what you were going to need him to do in order to justify what you were paying him, and not trading him for potentially. Look, if another team would have given up a first or a second pick, like, and th and this is what you've gotten back with his fit in the system, then then that's an L. If if that ends up turning out to be the case, I think there's a lot of sackable quarterbacks. Carson Wentz could provide oh, you yeah. with like four. So we could get to the end of the day and end up with 13 in sacks for Daniel Hunter, and it wouldn't surprise me. I put it under that category of like things that we're monitoring mm -hmm. along the way is how this ends up working out, not things that we're calling it now. Um, on the offensive side, wow, it's like 34 minutes into the show, and we have not talked about like Kirk Cousins missing reads of open wide receivers. But give me your interpretation on, on this, though. They – have produced a, a good number of first downs overall as an offense and they are producing points fairly regularly on drives overall again four games into the season 
But there's so much that's been left out there, and the statistics for Kirk Cousins are not very good. Like, how do we deal with all of these different things working together? Because I think there's one interpretation where you can say, those open receivers will get the football someday, I promise, because they're getting open. Or there's the, is Cousins just a little overwhelmed by the system so you're going to see the good moments and the bad and then it's going to be a typical cousin season which way do you interpret that yeah it's I think I lean more towards the, the latter like it, it's the similar conversation that we just talked about with Daniel Hunter where there is validity to what Kevin O'Connell has talked about like Kirk Cousins is four games into this system that the, Kirk has talked about it the receivers have talked about it like there was a there was a big change this offseason. It wasn't just a subtle adjustment like we've seen when they go from Stefanski to Kubiak or whatever. Like there was a big change. There was different terminology. There's all these different plays and assignments and and reads and no position is harder, not even close than quarterback where you have to know all these things and and so yeah, it was concerning to me a little bit to see the examples of of Kirk Cousins in London in the red zone taking that that shorter route when there's a guy open deeper. But what was encouraging to me was that immediately right after the game, when asked about the red zone struggles, like he brought that up. Like, so he's at least aware that he has opportunities to be more aggressive. And if you do that, then you may be scoring seven points instead of three. And, and you're not letting that game come down to a double doink at the very end. So yeah, this week is, is a good week to, I think kind of, get that right a little bit because the bears don't don't really scare you on defense um jalen johnson their top cornerback i'm not sure if he's gonna play what his status is like this looks like it should be another week to feed jefferson and feed adam thielen and and really kind of put all these things that they've been talking about onto the field now another big thing is they got to get the running game going because i I know that's like a classic football but it's true get the run game going but but it's true Uh, dalvin cook did not really look like himself for most of that Saints game, but it's not like he was miss, missing open holes and, and like Dalvin Cook has good vision. He's not going to do that. It, they just weren't often there. So they got to find ways to to scheme that up a little bit more. One thing I saw people talking about today is like the longest run of the season for the Vikings was a Jalen Rager end around of 17 yards. Like Dalvin Cook usually is good to break one, if not for a 60 yard touchdown for like 30 yards every game or whatever. So, and we just haven't seen that yet. And he did get tripped by Demario Davis once pretty blatantly, which was a a nice subtle veteran move by the, uh, by the saints linebacker. But yeah, I mean, this is a week to kind of put all that together. And it, if, if this plays out how we think it's going to with the Vikings getting a lead and, and been playing from in front, then that helps you kind of get Dalvin cook going as well. Okay. I've got some uh, bears quarterbacks to quiz you on, but, uh, for a score, I will go 27-10. I mean, I think that this one is just not particularly close. I think that's the exact that that is the exact score that the Packers beat the Bears by. So that's probably a good one. I I will go 34 to 13. Yeah. I, mean, I just think there's no reason this should be close. Like there's there really is no reason it should be close. This Bears team is just not good. So yeah, it's not I mean, the Vikings win the game. That's a good thing. They're four and one, but man, if if this if this comes down to the very end and is another nail biter, that might change my entire outlook on the rest of the season. If it hasn't already been changed by the last few weeks. Okay, Bears quarterback quiz. 
Who is the all-time leader in passing yards for the Chicago Bears? I'm going to guess it's Jay Cutler. It is Jay Cutler, and it's Jay Cutler by like 900 yards. (laughs) So not by I'm sorry, 9,000 yards. Okay, yeah. Yeah, So that is a lot. Yeah, no, that's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, Over Sid Luckman, which I won't make you guess. Uh, A former Bears quarterback interviewed for the Vikings head coaching job. This year? Jim Harbaugh? Jim Harbaugh is correct. He's third on the all-time list. Uh, I'm just running down the list of all-time yardage. If you haven't figured this out, uh, this we've quarter- already talked about. We already brought up Jim McMahon in the show, so that okay. So I would have got that regardless, though. Okay, well, I was going to make it a little hard. I was going to say that he once wore a headband with the commissioner's name on it, which was Jim McMahon. Okay. Um, the next quarterback was a thorn in the Vikings' side, but almost no one else's side. He was drafted over some very. <laughs> This is too easy. It's just it's Mitch. Mitch. Yeah. 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 Okay. This quiz. This quiz stinks. I was thinking. I was trying to think. Like, I can't go back too far. Oh, this quarterback. This is going to be a hard one, though. Okay. But just as a as a note, was the starting quarterback the last time the Lions won the division, which wasn't even the current division. It was the uh, Central. Central, which was '93, I think. Yeah. Just off the top of my head, because I've. It's just funny that the Lions haven't won it since '93, so I know that. But he. That's but he was that. more known as a Bear. Yeah. Um. Oh man. I. I'm. Yeah. I don't know. Eric Kramer Eric, is the yeah, guy. I wouldn't have got that. Uh, the quarterback when the Bears went to the Super Bowl against uh, the Colts. That's Rex Grossman. Rex is Sexy our quarterback. Sexy Rexy. Rex is our quarterback. That's a good one. Kyle um, Orton in there somewhere. Kyle Orton is is in here. I should have just asked like how many Bears quarterbacks yeah. can you name? Um. Chad Henney. Did he? Chad Henney was a guy. Did he uh, play for them, or am I, I, I making did. that up? Let me look. Yeah, obviously um, Chase Daniels. Okay, did. how about this? This guy is a a current. Oh, maybe he didn't. Maybe Ch- uh, Caleb Haney might. Ah, uh, that's him. probably yeah. what I'm thinking yeah. of. <laughs> there is a former Bears quarterback who currently coaches a local high school football team here in Minnesota. Here, um, he's from here. Played for the Bears. This is this is going back a ways though. Uh, yeah, yeah, that might not be. Uh, Steve Walsh is the guy. Nah, no, yeah. There's, there's, there's definitely some other random, like, brief bears that I can't quite put my finger on right now. Okay, from so the last like the guy who caught the pass when they did Philly Special. Oh yeah, Nick Foles. It was Matt Barkley. Oh. Well, and Nick Foles. Okay. So Matt Barkley did the play that Philly stole. Yeah. For the yeah, Philly yeah, special. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then that's they right. both ended up being Bears quarterbacks, but yep. it was against the Vikings that they did the Philly special. Uh, a um, a legendary Pittsburgh Steeler. No, several legendary Pittsburgh Steeler quarterbacks that played for the um, for the Bears. Um, like a back in way back when. Yeah, ish. Um. Cordell Stewart and Mike Tomzak. Mm. Cordell Stewart, I know because he was really good in college. Uh, I don't know the other guy. <laughs> I mean, Mike Tomzak was like, when Jim McMahon used to get hurt all the time, okay. Tomzak would come in. Okay. And he was pretty pretty not great. Uh, this guy did Monday Night Football for a year, and it was not good. Um, it was with um, Steve Levy. Oh, Brian Greasy. Yeah, Brian Greasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, that was a trouble. I was thinking of the, like, Joe Tessitore, Booger McFarland Monday Night Football crew, which was also not very good. How about a lefty? They had a lefty. 
Lefty quarterback out of UCLA, first round draft pick. Oh man, this one's gonna annoy me because I can I can picture a Bears lefty quarterback, but I don't think I'm gonna come up with his name. Cade McNown. Cade McNown. Yes, yep. Yes. Yep. And similarly, uh, one guy had a legendary run very briefly as the Bears quarterback, then got a big contract with Tampa Bay, was horrendous, spent the rest of his career as a backup. Huh. Um. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm passing on Swinton. That, that would be Josh McCown. That would be Josh McCown. Josh yep. McCown. Wow. Uh, a current, uh, a current quarterback in the league who got hurt last week, filling in for Mac Jones. Oh, um, Brian Hoyer. Brian Hoyer. Brian Hoyer has been like fourteen different places. Everywhere. So that's a good one. Uh, second round draft pick, longest neck in NFL history. Uh, Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon. <laughs> uh, Mike Glennon is. What? I mean, this. No, is... actually, he might have been beat by that by Davis Mills. Oh, Davis Mills has. Some Davis kind Mills of has an incredible. Okay. Yeah, I don't. We have to go to the locker room, but this could just continue. Uh oh, how about this? You would. You probably wouldn't know this, but like CFL legend came back with the Buffalo Bills, had his own cereal, college football legend, Boston College. Um. Yeah. I... I don't know. Doug Flutie. Oh, okay. Doug Flutie. Okay. Yep. That, I know who Doug Flutie is. I did not know him for his Bears. Flutie Flakes. I had yeah. them as a kid. Nice. Uh, okay, one more, because this is a great one. Because this this actually made the comparison, and, and this, again, goes back into the 90s, so this is a little bit tough, but this made the comparison of when uh, Carolina traded for Sam Darnold, mm-hmm. and people compared it to this trade, and I believe it was a first-round pick to Seattle that Chicago made this deal and this quarterback went 0 and three with a 60 quarterback rating. And that was his whole career as a bear. And they trade a first round pick for him. Is it Hasselbeck? No. Rick Meyer. Rick Meyer. Yeah. Rick Meyer. Another, another bust. anything before 2005. I'm, I'm not getting unless it's, I know, but a, it's also it's a big good. name. It is good for sure. How about, how about a Washington quarterback draft pick out of Auburn? This is in 2012. Played one game for Chicago. I did not remember this happening. Um, War number seventeen. Washington. Uh, I think it was a second round pick. He was the quarterback when they had the two great running backs, Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Williams. At Auburn. Yeah. Yeah. Jason I, Campbell. That. Yep. Jason Campbell. I. That was. That was somebody who I was like floating around in my brain as a random Bears quarterback, but I. Did not know the Auburn connection. I'm not doing particularly well here, but it's fine. These are some great names. How about uh, um, one of the great offensive coaches? I love how you said one more like four ago. No, and we're, still, we're still going. It's too good. <laughs> Everyone's still listening. No one has dropped off. Um, this this guy played in the strike year and became one of the best coaches in the NFL. Has a Super Bowl ring. Um, the strike year was, was that 92? Uh, 87. 87. Rivalry the with NBA? the Vikings. Doesn't always come across as the best. Uh, Kevin James may have played him in a Netflix series. Oh, Sean Payton? Sean Payton. Bears quarterback? Threw 23 passes wow. for the replacement Bears. I'm learning a lot. And had one picked off. Good for a quarterback rating of 27. I didn't get the recent coach rivalry with the Vikings, but once you said Kevin James, that, that, was, <laughs> yeah. that was quite helpful. I've tried to make these as uh, blatant <laughs> as possible. Um, 
yeah. Um, so anyway, I guess I mean there are many, many that you could go back. Like Bronco Nagurski apparently threw for 400 yards. Yeah. As a bear and is one of the better bear quarterbacks ever. So that's funny. Peter Tom Willis is just hilarious. I don't really know anything about Peter Tom Willis, but that's one of the funniest names I've ever heard. His last name is Tom Willis. No, his name is Peter Tom Willis. Willis. Oh, I thought it was Peter Tom Peter, Willis. Peter Tom Willis. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's it. That's the podcast. That's the show. Goodbye. We'll see you next week.